So by this point in my life, I'm 24 years old. I had been through the Roman Catholic Church, Pentecostal Church, back in the Roman Catholic Church, <laughs> back in the charismatic world. Then I went to a Baptist university while I attended a Presbyterian church and then led worship at a non-denominational church, then went to an <laughs> evangelical free seminary, and I attended a vineyard church while I was there. <laughs> Well, hello and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I am Zach Osinski, and I am so excited to be joined today by musician and church music director out of Dallas, Texas, from liturgical folk, Ryan Flanagan. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. It's uh, <laughs> about 80, 82 degrees in Dallas, so it doesn't get much better than this. Praise God. That's beautiful. <laughs> All right, Ryan. So just so we can get to know you a bit, I was wondering if you could take us through just what your your background in the Christian faith is and where where music comes into the picture as well. Sure. I was born in to the Roman Catholic Church in Chicagoland, Irish Catholic family. Um, but my parents left the Catholic Church and joined a Pentecostal church when I was very young, three years old. Okay. Um, and I, so I was raised in this Pentecostal church, which was a very musical church. Mm-hmm. Our uh, music minister was wonderful. And he was, um, you know, being Pentecostal, the uh, emotive sort of participation in music was a very high value. And Doug, the music minister, um, was with the times as far as kind of the development of praise and worship music in the church coming out of Hosanna integrity and um, vineyard music. And so I grew up on those songs in a very expressive and charismatic environment. Mm. Um, And he sort of unintentionally taught me what uh, what church music was and how to do at least this particular kind of church music in the mm-hmm. church. Uh, and then and then when I was a late teenager, I traveled with a singing group out of California called the Celebrant Singers, not to be confused with the Celibate Singers. Um, <laughs> okay. Although although we did minister mainly in the Roman Catholic Church, um, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of celibacy around. But uh, we won't get into that in this interview. Um, so I traveled with <laughs> humor's okay, right? Oh, please, please, uh, absolutely. Okay, we uh, so we traveled. Uh, I, I spent about a year with the celebrant singers, and this was sort of my reintroduction to the liturgical world, uh, and a, a bit more of a uh, refined kind of music in the church. Um, you might call it sacred music versus uh-huh. the praise and worship music that that I grew up on mm-hmm. and I loved it I loved particularly the the visual aesthetic that aided us in our worship uh, in the Roman Catholic Church and so coming uh, when I finished with the celebrant singers I moved back to Chicago and uh, became the music director music minister of the church that I that I grew up in for a short time uh, about how old were you about when that happened? So I was 19 
19 and 20 years old. Okay. Um, so I took my first, I guess you could call it my first music ministry position in, in a church as far as leading adults into worship would have been that Pentecostal church when I was 20 years old. Okay. And from there, I went uh, to, I moved to Dallas, Texas to attend Christ for the Nations Institute. Okay. Which is a very charismatic Bible college in Dallas. This was the first time I came to Dallas. And this school is famous for its contribution to praise and worship music. Uh, they, songs such as As the Deer came from this school, uh, okay. um, as far as I understand. Uh, and, and sort of that Jewish kind of sounding style, you know, I will celebrate, sing unto the Lord, I will sing to him a new song, that, that fun mm. little um, hoppy praise kind of stuff came uh was was very big out of this school um uh but by 2000 when i first came we'd sort of moved on into a bit more of a uh with the times sort of music expression there i'd say okay. that as far as developmental developmentally in my own musical journey those two years at christ of the nations were I mean, my musical chops sort of in, increased by tenfold, I'd have to say, just being around musicians, playing in the dorm rooms, playing in the hallways of our dorms, in the stairwells of our dorms, leading worship every day, sometimes all night long. Um, it was an incredible season of, um, you know, just immersion in that kind of musical environment. Um, and then from there, I went to Dallas Baptist University to get my bachelor's degree. And that's when I really started enjoying the intellectual pursuit uh, of the Lord. And so mm. from there, I went to seminary at Trinity back, back home in Chicago, okay. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So by this point in my life, I'm 24 years old. I had been through the Roman Catholic Church, Pentecostal Church, back in the Roman Catholic Church, <laughs> back in the charismatic world. Then I went to a Baptist university while I attended a Presbyterian church and then led worship at a non-denominational church. Then went to an <laughs> evangelical free seminary and I attended a vineyard church while I was there. So I experienced quite uh, the spectrum. Um, I guess, of, of music in the church, of theology, um, oh. and just what worship was like in uh, charismatic, evangelical, and Catholic worship. So that's, I'll, I'll, I'll take you that far into my journey for now. That was sort of, I'd say those were the most formative years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So definitely making the rounds. Um, did, did any of one of those environments feel more at home to you than the others? No. Um, I loved, there was great, very valuable pieces to each of those. Um, I, and it took me a while, maybe when I was 30 years old, I finally started being able to sort of think about and reflect on all the good that I experienced in each of those traditions. Mm. Um, but 
what I was longing for was a church that where I could be a charismatic evangelical Catholic. And I couldn't find one until I got to study with Bob Weber before he passed away. He's the one who coined ancient future worship, and he was Episcopalian. Uh And he basically, he said, um, and he was talking about these, what we call the three streams. He called it convergence Christianity, uh, evangelicalism, Pentecostalism, and Catholicism all coming together. He thought that the Anglican world was perhaps the most friendly or generous enough, a wide enough pool to sort of allow people like me to uh, fully embrace the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, and the Holy Sacraments. Mm-hmm. And that's how I uh, ultimately how I ended up then in the Anglican world where I for the first time in my life, do feel at home. Hmm. Wow. Incredible. So you've been in the Anglican Church for about, was it four years now? Four and a half years, yes. Four and a half years, wow. So how, as far as your musical experiences go, how, how have they been, how has the Anglican Church shaped them? How have they been different? What's been unique about this time of your life so far? The biggest thing that I've learned and really love and appreciate about being a music director in in this kind of church is that the music serves the liturgy. The music doesn't stand apart from the liturgy and serve as a liturgy of its in and of itself. Uh, we're not mm-hmm. trying to create a separate time in which, you know, through music, we are leading people into an experience of God. But rather, the liturgy is what it is and is what it has been for thousands of years, mm-hmm. a couple thousand years uh, in our tradition. And the music has a place within that greater narrative Hmm. Uh, so what i love about that is the music and we do 12 to 14 songs in a worship service Uh, it's it's interspersed throughout the entire liturgy from the pre-gathering music of of, you know musical reflection uh preparing for worship the opening hymn the Mm -hmm. uh, we have a block of songs that we do because we do value that time of um, every tradition calls it something different, getting lost in the presence of the Lord mm-hmm. um, or just, you know, praise, just worship through music. We love that. So we do, we still have a time for that. Um, but then we have, you know, offertory songs. We have liturgical or the, the service music that we sing dur- uh, during the Eucharistic prayers. Um, offer uh, communion songs, sending song, dismissal, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, I am still kind of pinching myself four and a half years later uh, to be, to be in this kind, in, in this tradition where music is used in this way. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, it sounds like within this tradition, the music rather than just having 
its eight-minute chunks at the start and end of the service, it sounds like the music really not only is integrated through the whole worship service, but it is also serving a greater purpose of the liturgies themselves. Is that correct? Yes, it is more than just kind of preparing people for a sermon and giving some, and, and, and it's more than just a tool for people to respond to the sermon. That was kind of my experience up to this point in the non-denominational world. It was everything revolves around the sermon. And so everything before the uh-huh. sermon is kind of preliminary to the sermon and everything after the sermon is in response to the sermon. Uh, in, in, in this world, it's very different. Mm-hmm. So how has then your experience in, in the Anglican church, how has that shaped your work in the work that you're doing with liturgical folk? Well, uh, sort of by surprise, when I came here a month into my job, that's when I met Father Nelson Kaszewski, who is a retired priest, uh, was a retired priest. And uh, he reached out to me early on in, in my job here at All Saints Dallas with a poem that he had, that he had written that uh, sort of sparked our collaboration together. We then went on to to continue writing hymns together and you know we'll get into what that became uh this music project but as far as you know other ways that i've been influenced by the music uh, or by the church having the prayers um, myself being a melodist primarily when it comes to songwriting having the prayers the prayer book the you know, these these ancient prayers throughout all of history, as well as a hymnal. And uh, I, I just found myself with all of this content, this, this amazing story, these lyrics that were already there. Um, uh-huh. And people who, you know, were much closer to Jesus and much smarter than me have written these uh-huh. words way better than than anything that I could come up with. And so I found myself for the first three years here just just setting these beautiful prayers to music, uh, you know, prayers for, for the liturgy, prayers from the morning, morning prayer, evening prayer, prayers uh, for my family. I've got three kids and I found myself... You know, I I was much more likely to pray with my children if we actually sang the prayers together. So I started writing very simple melodies for the historic prayers, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Greatest Commandment, some some table graces, uh, grace before meals, you know. Uh, And that was so important for our spiritual formation as a family, as uh, you know, entering into this new tradition, this new world, just, you know, simple melodies to these ancient prayers. Wow. That's beautiful. And so as you enter, as you enter into worship with not only your 
your immediate family, your children, but also with your church family, with the body of believers. How have you found implementing these new melodies that you're writing for these these ancient texts? How have how have your uh, congregations received them? Well, really well. Um, overall, at times I, I I tend personally in my own creativity towards co- contemplation, more of a contemplative sounds, quiet music, if you will. And at times, the things that I write are a bit too reflective maybe uh, or too uh you know artistic if you can Mm -hmm. say that if i can say that um for congregational singing right Mm. we do have a place in our church and we're we're learning we're speaking our congregation is beginning to participate a little bit more uh, smoothly effectively uh, in the act of uh, participation by listening, participation by uh, appreciating something that's beautiful, even if it mm. even if it means uh, they don't necessarily sing along to it. So, mm. uh, and and you know, having twelve to fourteen songs in a worship service gives us a little bit more freedom to do to to experiment, mm. um, wow. especially you know before the service, pre-service music and offertory music, uh, even uh, communion songs, everybody's doing something else. And so we have a little bit more freedom at that point to kind of lean into uh, the artistic, the more artsy side of things, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, yeah, I'd say that uh, (laughs) occasionally my pastor, who's also the bishop, um, will, you know, come in my office the next day or pull me aside and be like you know uh <laughs> Brian uh that was that was really good music but you know we're gonna have to uh, he, he kind of has a pullback on the reins a little bit because I will <laughs> I will definitely lean way too much into stretching the artistic muscles of our congregation so uh-huh. I appreciate having uh, that accountability uh and you know, it, it's a good reminder because, um, you know, I can definitely go off in my own little world and leave people behind. But overall, uh, especially the the really simple liturgical settings, the uh, service music that I write, that I wrote mainly for my kids, those are the ones that the congregation easily accesses. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious you so you're talking about making space within the within the service for just for listening and and for contemplation. And I know that one thing that I've experienced myself in a worship service is, you know, if I'm walking into the service and just carrying a burden or a grief or something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I I don't necessarily want to get up and rejoice and sing about how great how great jesus is and you know i am here to lift up my hands and Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering how you found or what you've experienced the fruits of what the difference is between 
inviting people to to join in worship and and to literally lift their voices, but mm-hmm. also giving them space to to sit back and receive something and just be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you're exactly right. You know, not not everybody is coming in ready to just jump in and praise the Lord, you know, with all their heart. Uh, in fact, that's probably a, a pretty extreme minority of people who are ready to do that before you even get to the church. Um, in fact, I have a friend, uh, David Fitch, who I heard him once sort of say, there's, there's a few different kinds of worship services. One is like worship as pep rally right where you walk in and and it's you know the band gets going is that all right everybody let's get out of our feet and praise the lord you know he's like that works that works for the you know the super christian who (laughs) has been like has been sort of kindling their romantic feelings for the lord all week long and you know they're mm-hmm. ready to come in and and worship but that doesn't work for for the person who's really suffering and struggling and in having like a really crappy relational conflict with a friend or you know the, he, dave says it, it doesn't work for the guy who just cheated on his wife you know the night before mm-hmm. with it you know having an emotional affair with his secretary whatever it, it doesn't work for people who are suffering just their everyday normal human sufferings um Uh and then and yeah so so uh just the other two kinds of worship services he says we sort of find ourselves experiencing in america or north america is uh the next one is like worship as a lecture hall right where you go in and everything, like I mentioned before, it sort of revolves around this really smart sermon, right? Hmm. And uh, the extent to which you accumulate intellectual understanding of the Bible uh, is the extent to which you have connected with God in worship. Um, hmm. So so worship as pep rally, worship as lecture hall. And then he says, the third is worship as spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. And this is where I have landed. And I really learned from my friend, David and my, and from my professor, Bob Weber. And uh, really I've, I've learned uh, after, you know, four and a half years in the rhythms of, of this kind of worship, worship as spiritual formation. Um, it, 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 as far as, how that how worship as spiritual formation which is basically um the practices of worship train us to become people who who do life with god and mission Mm. in the world uh and so confession of confession for example confession of sin confession of praise confession of faith these this these practices of worship actually train us to become the kinds of people who tell the truth in our lives, who proclaim the truth in our lives, not only Mm -hmm. proclaim the truth, but recognize the truth when it is spoken in our lives, Mm -hmm. in our everyday lives at work, at home, you know, in the news, 
you can recognize the truth and you can also recognize lies because they don't align with the truth that we've been proclaiming in worship, right? So that's mm -hmm. just an example of how the practices shape us. But the way that uh, in this kind of culture, in this kind of environment, music then, you can, you can understand music would have a much more holistic sort of role, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if, for example, you, you're using music or employing music at a time of confession, you're not going to be singing, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God, highest. you know, you're going wow. to, especially confession of sin, right? You're going mm -hmm. to be using a psalm of lament, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to be playing something more reflective, maybe even in a minor key, right? Mm -hmm. um, that would assist worshiper in getting in touch with what's deeper in their hearts right right so that would be one one example um, uh -huh. well, well it also reassures the the member in the congregation your your feelings your emotions are okay it is okay that you are sad mm -hmm. It is okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you are suffering. Like those emotions and those experiences are welcome here. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's normal. You know, you hear this all the time in, in a certain kind of church world, like, you know, welcome to church. Just check, check in or check it at the door, you know, check all your, your baggage, leave your baggage at the door, leave, you know, mm. Uh, leave all your struggles and stuff. Just leave it at the door and come in here and let's worship the Lord. It's like, no, bring that <laughs> to the altar. Right. Bring it to right. the table of the Lord where, you know, where God can meet you in the midst of your sadness and replace, you know, and, and fill your heart with hope in the, you know, uh -huh. it, it, instead of if you check it at the door, Right then when you leave, you pick it back up and it turns into despair, right? But uh -huh. if you bring it in and you bring it to Jesus and you lay it down at the altar, he replaces your sadness with hope, right? And with uh -huh. joy, right. uh, even yeah. in the midst of it, right? And you still have, you still may be dealing with it in your life, um, but, but isn't that the cruciform life, right? Isn't that what uh -huh. Jesus calls us into? It's it's exactly what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians, right? Mm. Joy in the midst uh -huh. of your sufferings. Right. Exactly. It it almost seems like I mean, forgive me, I'm thinking out loud here, but it almost seems like the worship service perhaps is there to be this illustration that we can enter which reassures us of the joy the the hardships that we will walk in in this kind of glorious tension all our lives um mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm wondering you know you being particularly a, a worship director what what is your vision for 
for congregational worship? What is, where do you feel like we are right now as a church and where, what is your hope for where we could go? I, so I'll I'll start with something that I've been reflecting on over the past couple of weeks. And it's sort of new for me. Uh, I tend to be a pretty critical person, very analytical, uh, especially towards forms of worship that are different than the way that I think they should be. And, but what I've been reflecting on, especially after talking with a friend is really struggling with her faith, um, has pretty much abandoned the idea of going to church. Um, and, and it occurred to me in conversation with her that that there's sort of a fundamental difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Besides one has put their faith in Jesus and the other has not. It's, it's the physical embodiment of, of praise, right? Hmm. What do you do with what's happening in your life? You either praise the Lord or you don't. You either turn your heart to the Lord and acknowledge him, right? Or Mm. you don't. And and I Mm. didn't say, you know, I'm not talking about Thanksgiving only. Thanksgiving is the easy thing for people to do. Even if you find a close parking spot at the mall, right? (laughs) Thank you, God. Uh, But, but with everything that happens in your life is your inclination to turn to the Lord in praise. Uh, And with that sort of basic approach to, to this question, um, that gives me a little bit more optimism towards the forms of worship that I don't necessarily (laughs) agree with that especially that we see in america kind of this consumer uh pragmatic church world right Uh um at least (laughs) there is there are thousands of people who have a at least enough energy and 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 vision and belief or trust that uh, to to come into the house of God and to praise the Lord, uh-huh. right? And and you know, I ask myself, who am I to to determine whether people in that place of worship are genuinely doing it for the right reasons or not? Like, I just uh-huh. want to look at that and say, there is a big group of people who are praising the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's kind of I've been thinking a lot about that lately that gives me a little bit more it makes me a little less <laughs> critical of the particularities about mm-hmm. how people are worshiping um, mm-hmm. if you see a, a, wor- a worship service and you say hey we have something going great here here's how we could make it better like how would you say mm-hmm. we could invite people 
into that rather than coming and saying like, we're going to change all this totally new forms right. of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Cause it's certain that's, I, I just as a musician, like I always certainly feel tempted to say like, Oh, we could change this, this, and this would be so beautiful. Right, uh, right. But also understanding that we need to meet people where they are. Um, right. And so how, how would you hope that we could invite our congregations into mm-hmm. something new? I think that there is already a movement, uh, call it a modern liturgical renewal movement. I think that there is a greater and increasing openness in the church, especially as millennials are starting to move into positions of upper leadership towards um beauty or the 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 re uh the rediscovery of what our bodies uh, do in worship and that it's important like the physical the sensory is actually important the sensory beyond you know that hyper sensationalist kind of appeal to the emotions through um you know, cultural, culturally accommodating means, uh, but but like the the rediscovery of of the physical element of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also seeing much more thought and um, and practice intentionality around the the inclusion of the sacraments in worship mm. uh which i believe uh is the gateway to the reintegration of the physical mm-hmm. of the you know the engagement of the senses in worship sure. it's the front door to um uh it's the on-ramp for the arts to come back into the church the mm-hmm. sacrament is um because because it is it involves all of the senses it involves sight sound taste touch robert weber said that the holy sacri- the, the the holy eucharist is is the only act uh of worship in which all five of our senses are engaged in the in the moment of receiving mm. um, wow you hear the crunch, you smell the wine, you taste, you know, the bread and the wine, you, you touch it with your hand, mm-hmm. um, you know, you see it coming for, uh, towards you. So it's, it's God acting upon us in a way in which all of our senses are engaged. I think this is a, it's vital to, <laughs> especially the church in a post-Christian world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the rediscovery, the re-inclusion of the sacraments in our worship. And, and we've seen over the past couple decades a blending of the, the charismatic and the evangelical, right? I mm-hmm. think with, for example, passion, in the late 90s and early 2000s, 
uh, this these evangelicals who were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Uh-huh. And and now you go into an, uh, any sort of evangelical church, and there is a charismatic expression of music, uh-huh. right? You'll see a blending in that respect. Um, I'm saying let's let's take it one step further and let's invite the liturgy to the party, <laughs> and and let's bring not only our in, in, intellect and emotions together, but let's bring our bodies into the the intellectual and the emotional encounter with the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and that was Bob Weber's whole thing. The whole ancient future worship was all about rediscovering the historic practices of worship, uh, the way forward for the the church in the West is to um, to, to rediscover um, the ancient practices of worship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, you know, you say that, and so I know we haven't really gotten to talk about the project of liturgical folk yet in this interview, <laughs> uh, but in our last few moments, uh, that really does feel like this this melding of rediscovering the past while looking forwards to to what will be in in our worship. That really does feel like the work that liturgical folk is doing. Um, Particularly, it it seems to me, just as a listener, that the project of liturgical folk not only celebrates these ancient liturgies, but it's also this celebration of of collaboration and of of culminating a diversity of musical stylings and artists. Uh, you all have worked with artists such as Liz Weiss, Josh Garrels, Lauren Gones, and on the four albums you have so far, I mean, you'll hear you'll hear American folk, but you'll also hear rock. You'll hear some kind of New Orleans-ish elements in the Lent album. Um, so it's just, it's so exciting to kind of, through our discussion, arrive at liturgical folk kind of through this back door of what kind of your vision for, for worship is. Yeah. So yeah, I'll yeah. speak to I'll speak to that a little bit. Um, so you're exactly right. It, I would hope that the conversation that we've had up to this point, you and I, would sort of there would be a natural kind of understanding then why we are doing this project, liturgical folk. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's because we are liturgical creatures. We mm-hmm. are, you know, uh, to quote James. AKA KA Smith, Jamie Smith uh, out of Calvin College. Um, to quote him, we are not primarily thinking creatures, as Descartes would say, or just as sort of modern evangelicalism would say, I believe, therefore I am. No, we are primarily desiring creatures. We are creatures, we know that we are because we love, right? Mm-hmm. We direct our loves towards things. Mm. And worship, the liturgy, is it intends to shape our desires 
to change our desires and so to change our habits in life um, and to direct our love towards Jesus, mm-hmm. towards the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, of course, it, it's kind of hard to talk about in, in our sort of Western categories, but uh, when you think about the role then of music, uh, which is, it, it speaks to a much deeper level of our, uh, of our humanity than, than just our minds and just our sort of skin, right? It speaks to a much deeper part of who we are as human beings. And, and music then would be cl- much closer uh, to this liturgical nature of our humanity. Mm. Uh, and and so my the, the project of liturgical folk and I and I know I'm speaking in pretty big philosoph- philosophical terms, but the the music this project intends to sort of from the inside out or from the ground up bypass like not even primarily trying to appeal to the consciousness. Our hope is that when people listen to this music, when they engage with this music, they're going to have an unconscious kind of reception of it. They're going to have, something's going to be happening much deeper in them than they are able to articulate, that they are able to articulate with their mouths and with their brains. Much like I'm having a difficult time articulating <laughs> exactly what my what the music does. Um, but that's, that's the point and i and i would think that it's you know we call liturgical folk the music in the bones it's the music that just comes up from the ground of a place because the ground is the lord's right Mm -hmm. the lord the earth is the lord's and everything in it Mm -hmm. and so when we put our ear to the ground and we listen for the sound that just comes up, that bubbles up from the well of the earth. Uh, and we a- attempt to reflect that sound then out to other humans. There is a natural accessibility, especially among the old people and the children. <laughs> huh. they, they are the ones who live the most down to earth lives, right? Sure. They are the ones who are going to most easily and readily access the sounds that we're attempting to capture and perform and release out of our creativity. And so, yeah, it's a it's a much it's a ground up, in inside out, in the bones ministry. I would say. Wow, that that vision is is so beautiful and. It's it's so exciting to hear it coming to life through through the work that you that you all are doing as a collective. Um, thank you. So, so thank you guys. Thank you for your music. Honestly, uh, it's it is such a gift. Uh, could you could you tell us what's down the road for the liturgical folk? What kind of work we can expect to hear and see? Sure. Well, uh, the, the next thing sort of on the agenda is we're, we're going to record uh, two more volumes of music this July. Okay. We are in the midst of raising funds to do this. 
Um, we're about halfway towards our fifty thousand dollar fundraising goal. It, it takes it takes money to make <laughs> the kind of music that we're trying to make. No um, and so we are we have all of the music written for an advent album. No way. To, to follow up to follow up Lent, yes. Um and since Advent is kind of a shorter season, <laughs> we uh we've included Christ the King, a hymn for Christ the King Sunday, which is the last Sunday uh of the church year, uh, the Sunday right before the first Sunday in Advent. Uh so we have a Christ the King hymn, we have four Advent hymns, a Nativity hymn, uh an Epiphany hymn, a baptism hymn, and I uh I wrote a little waltz um for Father Nelson uh in memory of him because all of these songs um are his text. Like he wrote poems and and so all of the songs on Lent, all the songs on Advent, all of the songs from our volume two Eden Land were poems that he wrote that we then tuned um and adapted. Right. Um, so we've got Advent, and then we have Psalms. We we've written several settings to uh, the Psalms um, verbatim from the Book of Common Prayer. So um, that's what's next. Uh, hopefully, Advent will come out November first, and Psalms will come out January thirty first, and and that and we will have reached our goal of releasing six volumes of new liturgical music in three years. That was, that was what we were trying to do. So <laughs> we'll see what happens after that. But um, it was, it sounded ambitious to us. We didn't think we were going to be able to do it, but the way the, the stars have aligned, so to speak, we, uh, it looks like we're going to be able to do it. Wow. Well, praise God. That is so exciting. Uh, if if our listeners wanted to check out Liturgical Folk, learn more about the project, and support the upcoming album releases, where could they go? Liturgicalfolk.com. You can find out all about the project, read about the story. The Dallas Morning News actually did a nice piece on our collaboration um, a couple of years ago. Uh, Christianity Today also did a, a nice follow-up piece last, uh, I think right after right as Lent was coming out, uh, so the beginning of this year. Um, and uh, the donate tab on the website, liturgicalfolk.com slash donate, um, is where you can read all about how you can partner with, with us uh, to help us record these next two records. Excellent. So one final question before I let you go. Uh, it's a question that I love to field to, to all of our guests. If you had a, either an encouragement or a challenge for Christians in working in the arts, what would it be? The encouragement is that there was a time when the best art in the world was coming out of the church. It was the defining narrative really for art at least in you know in the western church and in, in the eastern orthodox church um the christian story was the defining narrative um 
And I'll, I'll say, uh, I remember when I, when I first connected with Isaac Wardell, who is our producer, mm, right. um, we, the first thing that we really connected on together was this vision to make sacred music good enough that non-Christians would want to listen to it. Mm. And I remain committed to that, and I encourage other artists to do the same. Fantastic. Wow. Well, Brian, what what a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for spending the your time. The honor was all mine, Zach. Yeah, of course. Thank you. All right. Well, everyone listening, you know what to do. Go ahead and check out Liturgical Folk on their website, liturgicalfolk.com. You can also find all of their music on Spotify. Go and check out the work that they're going to do. Consider supporting them for the next two albums. And if you're looking for more episodes to listen to, feel free to scroll through our archives and leave us a good review on the iTunes podcast store. So thank you all so much. Further up and further in.